guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? Finally doing better. Finally doing better. It's been Good. rough. It's been rough for me, Melissa. I've been sick. I think we made it about one full week into the school year before I got sick. Right? I'm convinced that my kids, you know, brought it home from school. There's just no other explanation. I feel like it's always important to have someone to blame that isn't you. Absolutely. So I yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. It's definitely because <laughs> those little monsters went back to school and brought all their germs home. So yeah, I've right. been sick, but I, I'm finally feeling better. We were talking how there's like a lot of stuff going around. I know a lot of people who have been sick or are sick currently, and I guess it's just that season for summer colds. So I'm having my summer cold. <laughs> there you go. Get it out of the way right at the end. It was like kind of cool for a minute last night in my house, which... My house hasn't cooled oh, down. Oh, I was forever. like, where were you? <laughs> I know. My house hasn't cooled down. And I was like, oh my gosh, are we, is it, is it cooling down? My husband's like, no, I just got really hot and finally <laughs> turned it down more. I was like, dang it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, we're so close. it's not cooling down. It's been violently hot. Violently. Yes. That is the word for it. Perfect. Well, how have you been doing, Melissa? I feel like I took over there and just explained all my problems and you didn't get a chance to tell us any of yours. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's start a list. Um, No, no problems. Uh, My daughter's volleyball is still going well. They haven't won a game yet. Yeah. But they're like, they won one of their sets, which is good. They're very young to be a varsity team. Like the last team they played, I swear we're like bred to play volleyball. Like girls were taller than me. I was intimidated. And they're just really trying and it's fun. And I'm like becoming friendly with the other moms, which, you wow. know, it's like I try to sit by myself, but now I'm sitting with everyone. What? And like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's so, t- I know, trust me. I'm even like, what is happening? Um, but like very friendly with everyone and talking like your daughter did so great, blah, blah, blah. It's weird, um, but I'm enjoying it. So wow, I'm nice. still an introvert, but I guess I have extrovert abilities like my superpower. I oh, can I'm very it. proud of you. Yeah, I know. I mean, trust me, I'd rather be sitting on the other side of the gym by myself, but it looks rude. <laughs> and I don't want it to be rude for my daughter. So it's been fun that we're enjoying it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I feel the same. We're kind of getting into that age now where I feel like I have to make a good impression on other parents right? because my kids are getting to be that older age now. And so, I mean, and it makes it sound terrible, right? It makes it sound like I don't want to make a good impression on people, but, and I do, but it's just so much effort. <laughs> How to work. I'm like, how much do we have to know about each other? Can it just be basics? We don't need to go into right? like where I was raised, all right. that stuff, right? Like, let's, what, what do you like? Diet Coke or Coke Zero? Okay, that's let's all we need to Let's just keep the conversation to, the, to volleyball. There you, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So th- the story this week is one that I really doubt many people have heard. I've never heard of it before. And I'm not saying that that means that's a boring case because it's not for lack of, you know, having interesting material. It's just that this is a story from all the way across the pond in Ireland. So we didn't get to hear a whole lot about it here in the United States. And it is a very interesting story, to say the least, because not only is murder three times less prevalent in Ireland than it is here in the U.S., but in this particular story, it was actually several years before the truth came out about what happened to two victims found dead inside of a vehicle in a garage. It was May 19, 1991, in Northern Ireland, when a Coleraine Baptist Church elder received a call from one church member named Colin Howell. Colin was concerned that his wife Leslie had gone off with another man named Trevor Buchanan. Leslie had been gone all night and couldn't be reached, and Colin had some concerns. But it wasn't because he thought Leslie was having an affair with Trevor. No, no, no. It was because Leslie and Trevor were both upset about the affair that Colin was having with Trevor's wife, Hazel. 
So kind of like a wife swap situation, but it's not mutually agreed upon and it's not really a true swap because the other two are not actually having an affair. (laughs) I like that we're breaking down the rules of wife swap. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the rules of wife swapping, but it seems like there's there's some element missing to make this true wife swap. (laughs) We're missing a key key element there. So as we move along in this story, there are a lot of names to keep track of. As I said, right off the bat, this is dealing with two married couples. So there's four people right off the top that we have to kind of keep in line. So we're going to do the best that we can with this one and kind of remind you of who everybody is. But as we go in the story, there are some names that have been changed. It's not any of the main characters in the story, but some of the witnesses and other people that were talked to by police, either they weren't named, so we gave them a name ourselves, or we just changed the name. So Colin Howell was a local dentist who specialized in implants, and he owned multiple practices in the area. He had met his wife, Leslie, while she was studying to become a nurse, and the two of them were married in 1983. By 1991, eight years into their marriage, the couple had four children, and the family was living in Knocklade Park in Coleraine, North Ireland. Colin was friendly and popular around town and seemed to be worthy and an upstanding member of society. He was a very successful dentist and a family man, and he was a committed Christian. But a glance just below the surface revealed that there was actually a little bit of trouble in paradise. The Howells had been struggling in their marriage recently due to the fact that Colin had been having an affair with a 27-year-old woman named Hazel Buchanan. Hazel was a Sunday school teacher at the Howells' own church, and she was also a married woman. Hazel and her husband Trevor had been married for nine years, and they had two children of their own together. They lived in another area of Coleraine, and Hazel's husband, Trevor, was actually a constable, which is basically a police officer. Hazel actually first befriended Leslie Howell at church, and the two would sometimes meet up and take their children to a swimming club together. But on occasion, Leslie wouldn't be able to make it, so Colin would stand in and take their kids in her place. On these days when Colin went in Leslie's place, he made it pretty clear to Hazel that he thought she was attractive and he was willing to explore this budding lust for her. One night in the spring of 1990, Colin called Hazel for the first time on the phone. Her husband Trevor was working when she took the call, but after that, an intense and sexual relationship developed between the two of them. Before long, Hazel was infatuated with Colin and she even told a couple of her friends that she was in love with him. Colin was a lot different than her own husband, Trevor, who Hazel evidently thought was just a very ordinary type of guy, and Colin to her was more exciting. At some point, Colin's wife, Leslie, became aware of the affair that he was having with Hazel. We aren't sure exactly how she found out, but it was sometime around September of 1990 when Leslie confronted Colin. Leslie had overheard Colin on the phone with Hazel, or it's possible that another member of Coleraine Baptist Church had seen Colin and Hazel together and tipped Leslie off to the affair. But either way, Leslie did find out about it around the end of September. Colin, of course, denied the affair initially, but eventually he admitted to having a platonic relationship with Hazel, which was obviously a lie. Leslie eventually confided in one of the church elders, a man named Greg, that she suspected her husband Colin was having an affair with Hazel. When Greg confronted Colin about it, he denied it, but Greg wasn't convinced that was the truth, so he confronted Hazel about it a few weeks later, and she did confess to the affair. Colin eventually confessed his affair to the church elders, which ended with both of the couples entering counseling, separately of course, to try and save their respective marriages. One of the elders, Greg, arranged for Colin to confess to Leslie at their home in October of 1990. 
Leslie did not take the news well. She actually wrote a suicide note and made an unsuccessful attempt on her life. When Leslie found out that Colin had been involved in this sexual affair with Hazel, she took an overdose of acetaminophen before driving away from the house. Later, she was found and admitted to the hospital where she remained for several days. And really, all of this will come up again later in the story. By early 1991, problems compounded when Colin started to face financial problems on top of the marital problems that he and Leslie were already having. One of his debts was around 10,000 pounds. This loan that he had, which currently is around 11,700 US dollars, uh, he had this loan from a friend and his dental business was also in debt. And despite attending counseling to help with their marital issues, Colin resumed his affair with Hazel in March of that year. And in early May, things got even worse. Leslie's father, Harry, was staying with her and Colin at their home when he suddenly collapsed and died. There was no autopsy performed, but it was assumed that he died of heart failure. After her father's passing, Harry's will was read and it granted Leslie a large sum of money, but money really wasn't enough to fix Leslie's broken heart. After her father's death, she started drinking heavily and taking sedatives, which she found in her father's medicine cabinet after he died. Leslie stopped sleeping in the bed with Colin, and she started falling asleep on the couch more often. Leslie's declining state was noticed by church elder Greg, and he warned her to cut down on the drinking. He could see that she had lost her spark and really seemed to be in a downward spiral in light of all the recent events. That is a lot um, to happen at one time in your life, you know, to have to go through the loss of your father and you're kind of struggling in your marriage and now you're having financial problems. And it's just those are all really big things in life. And to have them kind of all at one time, it's just like, wow, absolutely a lot to deal with. Yeah, for sure. And we still have so much more to get into in this story. But first, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Lately, I've been looking for new content to binge, and the streaming channels I have really just aren't cutting it. And that's why I really love BritBox, the streaming service created by the BBC and ITV. BritBox has all kinds of television, but I'm especially loving their crime series and gripping thrillers like The Bay, which is a hit crime drama from the UK that friends have recommended to me in the past, but I'm finally able to watch with BritBox. The Bay takes place in this gorgeous coastal town in Northern England, but it seems like everyone in town is hiding some dark secrets. The first season of The Bay follows DS Lisa Armstrong, a role incredibly played by Morven Christie, while she investigates the disappearance of two small children. And as the series progresses, we learn about her struggles with her own involvement with a suspect in the case. I'm new to The Bay, but can't wait to see how this first season ends. I was actually just talking on Twitter with friends of the show about another series on BritBox I'm obsessed with called The Thief, His Wife, and the Canoe. We were all really flabbergasted by the story, as well as the way that police actually handled the investigation. And if you aren't familiar with the story, you have to check it out. It's so well done, and all the episodes are released so you can binge today. Sign up for BritBox now to watch The Bay and other great crime dramas from the UK. We have a special limited time offer for our listeners. 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan. But only if you go to BritBox.com and use our promo code MOMS at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Use promo code MOMS at BritBox.com. I love to mix up my podcast. I listen to a little bit of true crime, a little bit of reality show recaps. I even found this cool little show about gossip, but not like celebrity gossip, like normal people gossip. It's amazing. I'm also up for some audio dramas which is why I'm obsessed with blood ties. 
Blood Ties is the award-winning audio drama from Wonder that's launching their third season called Strange Days. And it's another story all about greed, power, and deception. One of my favorite actresses, Gillian Jacobs from Community, plays Eleanor, the newly crowned CEO of the infamous Richland family empire, along with her half-brother Santino, who's played by 13 Reasons Why Christian Navarro. The story is intriguing. It's also suspenseful as we follow the family after they've decided to invest their fortune in this groundbreaking but super controversial new drug. Like Eleanor's dad always says, medicine is a bloody business. Listen to Blood Ties Season 3, Strange Days on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or you can binge the whole series now early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were introducing this story involving Colin Howell, his wife Leslie, and the woman that Colin is having an affair with named Hazel Buchanan and her husband, Trevor Buchanan. There really has been a lot going on in this story that has kind of brought us to the point that we're at. Leslie Howell's father had recently passed away, which kind of sent her on a downward spiral where she began drinking a lot and taking sedatives. A lot of the members of her church were, of course, very concerned about her and the way that she was handling her grief over her father's death. And so some of the elders reached out to her and suggested that she should kind of take it easy on the drinking a little bit. Later on in the month of May, on the 18th, Leslie had an appointment at her tanning salon, which was near Castle Rock. She thought her appointment that night was booked for 6 p.m., but when she got there, she learned that it was actually for 7 o'clock. So she told a staff member that she was just going to go and get some tea and would return at the correct time. At about 6.15, Leslie arrived at a gas station nearby where she was seen by somebody that she knew. The person that saw her said that they were really confused by Leslie's behavior that evening. They said that she actually stopped at the wrong pump and was putting diesel gas in her car instead of normal gas, which obviously will ruin your engine. You can't just do that. So I tried that once, though. (laughs) Oh, did you? When when I was newly driving. Oh, no. I went to the gas station, like pulled out the diesel, tried and went inside and was like, "Um, I don't think that fits my car. Am I doing something wrong? And the guy was like, it's diesel. You can't use it. I was like, well, thanks for stopping me. I was like trying to like pry something in there and put it in there. (laughs) Yeah. So to the best of us. (laughs) Right. So Leslie's friend saw this and was like, what is she doing? Like, that's very strange. That's a good friend. Yeah, exactly. What is she doing? So she was going to go let Leslie know, you know, hey, you're using the wrong pump. But before she could get out there and tell her, Leslie actually realized what she was doing and she moved her car to another pump and corrected herself. But- The friend still didn't think Leslie was acting entirely normal. According to this friend, Leslie was moving in slow motion and was staggering from side to side while she was walking inside to pay for the gas, but the friend didn't notice any smell of alcohol or anything like that when she got closer to her. But the whole weird encounter concerned her enough to call Colin just to make sure that Leslie made it home safely that evening and that he kept an eye on her. So Colin actually called the friend back about 15 to 20 minutes later and told them that everything was fine. Leslie made it home safe. But we don't really know if that was true. Leslie was seen back at the tanning salon at about 7 p.m. She did go back for her tanning session, which was supposed to last for 25 minutes. But when 7.30 rolled around and Leslie didn't emerge from the tanning bed, one of the staff members went in there to check on her. They actually found her asleep on the tanning bed, but she did wake up shortly after and came out in the lobby and left. 
On her way out the door, Leslie said, see you guys on Monday. And these workers at the tanning salon did also say they felt Leslie was completely normal that night, even though she had this weird incident at the gas station right before, supposedly, when she went back to the tanning salon, they said, other than falling asleep in the tanning bed, which I'm sure happens, you know, to people all the time, that they said she wasn't really acting that strange. So it was assumed that Leslie would have gone home after this. But according to what Colin told a Coleraine Baptist Church elder the next morning, Leslie never came home that night. At about 8.30 a.m. on May 19th, Colin contacted an elder from the church, we'll call this guy Steve, and appeared to be looking for advice. He said that he suspected Leslie had gone off with Trevor Buchanan, who, as we said, was the husband of the woman that Colin was having an affair with. So this guy Trevor is married to Hazel. Colin's having an affair with Hazel. So he's saying he thinks his wife Leslie went off with Trevor the husband of the man he's of the woman he's having an affair with a lot to keep up with yes so colin tells this guy steve that leslie had left their home in the middle of the night and then came back with trevor colin alleges that he and trevor had some sort of an altercation before trevor took off and leslie passed out on the couch she was allegedly under the influence of alcohol and a sedative colin said that when he woke up in the morning leslie was gone but that she had left a suicide note behind which Colin found on the kitchen floor. Colin kind of asked or hinted that Steve should check in the area of Leslie's late father's house because he believed Leslie and Trevor may have gone there. At this point, Steve, this elder, drove out to Colin and Leslie's house where Colin was waiting. So Colin shows him the suicide note that's left by Leslie, and then Steve leaves to go to Harry's house, which was Leslie's father, looking for any sign of Leslie or Trevor. So he doesn't find anything there, and he drives back to Colin's house and told him, you know, he didn't find them at Harry's. Colin then suggested that maybe Leslie and Trevor had taken a ferry to Scotland, but when Steve called the ports to check if Leslie's car ever got on the ferries from the previous night, he learned that they didn't. Steve had to leave so he could go to church for the Sunday service, so that's when Colin enlisted the help of his neighbor, Danny, instead. Colin asked the neighbor to check Harry's house as well, despite the fact that he had just sent Steve over there to look and he didn't see anything. So Danny agrees to go back, but a short time after he left, his wife gets a call from Hazel saying that her husband Trevor never came home after he left with Leslie the previous night. Talk about being up in people's business. Everyone knows everybody's everything. Is this what's going to happen if I'm friendly with volleyball people? I think so. This is the risk that you. This is the risk you run when you when you make friends. This is my nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) This is my nightmare. Okay, I got to rethink everything. So back to the story. So Danny's wife then goes over to the Buchanan's house where Hazel and Trevor lived, and she finds Hazel there in this distressed state. Meanwhile, Danny's at Harry's house, which is Leslie's late father's place, looking for Leslie and Trevor. So he looks in the garage window and sees that there's a car inside with the driver's side door open. Just as Danny's about to investigate this, he caught what he thought was movement out of the corner of his eye coming from an upstairs rear window. Danny was sure this was Trevor and Leslie, so he calls out for them to, quote, catch themselves on, end quote. And then Danny drove back to Colin's house to let him know what he saw. So upon hearing about the car in the garage and the movement upstairs, Colin phones Elder Steve again, who's busy at morning service, 
to ask him if he will again go to Harry's house and look around. This is so much. <laughs> right? Like, at some point, can't you say, will you watch my kids so I can go find something? Right. Because clearly, if something's going on, like, wouldn't you, as a spouse, want to be the one to find it and not send strangers over? You know what I mean? I mean, to- I get the, I get it that, the you know, their elders are there to support you and these kind of things. But, like, that is a lot to have to keep keep continually sending different people over there is like, okay, like you said, at some point you just need to go over there yourself and see what's going on. Yeah, it's I it's a lot. It is a lot. And so Colin even says he will give him a key this time so he can get inside. And Elder Steve agrees for reasons we don't know. Elder Steve is a better man than than I am. Or yes. person than I will ever be. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> so Elder Steve takes a police officer with him this time and they arrive at Harry's house at 120 PM which makes sense. Uh, They should have been brought along a lot earlier. So it was at this time that Steve went to the back of the house, opens the garage door, and discovers the horrifying sight of Trevor and Leslie's bodies inside of Howell's car. The officer who came along was alerted, and he secured the garage area and called for more police help, calling the scene a quote-unquote double suicide. But was it? So an investigation into what happened to Leslie and Trevor was launched. After taking an immediate stock of the situation, it was noted that the Howell's car, this would be the car belonging to Leslie and Colin, had been backed into the garage with the front end pointing towards the garage door. The car was pulled in very tightly because this was a very tiny garage with a very tiny space. And there was a workbench right next to the passenger side door that was so close that there wasn't even enough room for that door to be opened. On the other side, on the driver's side, there was a little bit more room, but really still not that much. The driver's side door and window were both open, and the keys were in the ignition, which was on. A strong smell of exhaust fumes flooded the garage, leading authorities to believe that Leslie and Trevor had taken their own lives together. Trevor's body was in the front seat of the car, but it was positioned in a way that had half of his body kind of hanging outside of the car, which made it seem to the officers like he may have had a change of heart or changed his mind about the suicide and tried to get out of the car, but then he was overtaken by the fumes. Leslie's body was found splayed across the trunk of the car. She was laying on her back with her personal cassette player next to her, and she had headphones over her ears, and there were three framed photographs surrounding her. One of the photos was facing towards her, and that was a photo of her mom in her nursing uniform. And the other two photos were facing away from Leslie. None of the pictures that she had with her were of her children. Next to Leslie's head was one end of a vacuum hose, and the other end was loosely sitting inside of the car exhaust pipe. The end of the car exhaust pipe looked like it had something tighter around it at some point, and the trunk was actually closed tightly on top of this vacuum cleaner hose, which because of that, made it have a visible kink in it from where the trunk lid was pressing on it. And the trunk itself was also covered in what looked like a layer of soot. From the very beginning, there were several major problems with the way the police investigated the deaths of Leslie Howell and Trevor Buchanan. During the initial investigation, there were just eight photographs taken of the scene. Three of the photos included Leslie's body, and only one included Trevor's. A few items were taken for forensic examination, including the vacuum cleaner pipe, Leslie's cassette player, the music cassette that was inside of it, and the three photos surrounding her. But wasn't really any point of taking them because nobody ever actually looked into any of that stuff. They only looked over the cassette tape 
for evidence, which so random, so random out of all the things that they could have looked into. They just pulled the cassette tape and were like, let's look and see if there's anything here. And then there wasn't, but they didn't even look for fingerprints in the car. They didn't dust the car for fingerprints. They only looked at this cassette tape, not even the player. Don't know why. I really am confused, just as confused as you are. (laughs) (laughs) So it was determined by a forensic medical officer that both Leslie and Trevor had been dead for over 12 hours by the time he got there. They were both cold and showing signs of lividity. Autopsies performed later revealed the cause of death for both of them was carbon monoxide poisoning consistent with inhaling car exhaust fumes. Leslie's body had no sign of any physical trauma, and Trevor was found to only have trivial injuries, including a one-centimeter abrasion on the front of his right knee and two small abrasions to the front of his left knee. Nothing of suspicion was noted during either of their autopsies. Pathology results showed that Leslie did have a blood alcohol level that was higher than the legal limit, and traces of three different sedatives were also found. Trevor didn't have any alcohol in his system, but he was found with traces of a sedative called temazepam, although it was well within the what's known as a therapeutic range and not a lethal amount. The medical examiner determined that neither of them died as a result of drugs or alcohol. Trevor's sweatshirt and his jeans were also both examined. Stains found on the right leg of the jeans and the left shoulder of the sweatshirt led to curiosity about what caused them. Human blood was found on the rear left shoulder area, along with another unknown substance, but nothing noteworthy was found on the jeans. No other testing was done on Trevor's clothing, and there's no record of Leslie's clothing being tested at all either. On the same day that the bodies were discovered, investigators went to speak with Hazel before speaking to Colin, and the officers that spoke to Hazel took notes on their conversation. She said that she started off just being friends with Colin, but things quickly escalated into a sexual affair. The affair began in the summer of 1990, and it lasted for several months. She said that she and Colin would meet up to have sex about once a week. Hazel said Leslie found out, and they ended the affair while both couples went to counseling. But Trevor and Leslie were still having a hard time coping with Hazel and Colin's infidelity. According to Hazel, on the night of May 18th, she went for a bike ride with a friend, but she was home and in bed by 10.15. Trevor told her that he planned on staying up for a while that night, which Hazel thought nothing of, so she went to sleep. After an unknown amount of time, Hazel was awakened by the sound of Trevor's voice, but she quickly realized that there was someone else there in the house talking to him, and that voice she recognized was Leslie's. Hazel said she couldn't hear what they were saying, but she thought it was around 3 or 4 in the morning at this time. Hazel said she didn't bother to get up and check things out or intervene because she and Leslie were obviously not on speaking terms at this point. Hazel said she fell asleep again and woke up at about five, but Trevor was not there. I don't know if I could stay asleep knowing that's going on in my house. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would get up out of bed. Right. (laughs) I would have to get up and be like, what's going on? Why are you here? Yeah. Or at least like sitting by the door, listening to everything. Like I I don't want to get involved, but I'm not going to be like, well, I guess I'll just go back to sleep. (laughs) Nothing real interesting happening here tonight. Trevor's car was parked in a strange place. He normally parked it in the garage, but this morning Hazel noticed that it was parked in the front of the house. Although this was a bit weird and confusing, Hazel didn't contact anyone because she didn't want to create worry or panic. Colin was also interviewed by the police. There were written notes taken during their conversation, but they didn't record a statement at this time. Colin told a similar story to Hazel in terms of what their affair was like, and he told them about how Leslie had attempted suicide when she first learned about it. 
He also included that Leslie had been different and had changed since her father Harry passed away. Allegedly, she began drinking every night, taking sedatives, and threatening to move to London by herself, leaving Colin with the kids to continue his love affair with Hazel. Colin said that Leslie went to a hair appointment on May 18th at 11 a.m. and got home around 2, and then she spent the afternoon preparing meals for Saturday and Sunday, and then left again at about 5.30 to go to her tanning appointment. According to what Colin told the officers, Leslie believed that her tanning appointment was at 6 p.m., but when she found out the appointment wasn't until 7, she went and got gas and then returned home for a little bit before going back to the tanning salon. Remember, there was that weird incident at the gas station where Leslie apparently tried to put diesel gas into her car and a friend saw her and thought something seemed off about her. So she actually called Colin to make sure that Leslie made it home safe that night. So Colin told the police that when Leslie came home after that, she downplayed the incident at the gas station and said, you know, overall, she was very calm and acting normal. But then when she returned home from the tanning appointment, Leslie had her three liter case of wine with her and she started drinking it while sitting on the sofa that night. Trevor allegedly came over to their house at 1115 and an argument between him and Colin ensued and it resulted in Trevor grabbing Colin until Colin had to restrain him. Colin suffered a small injury to his forehead during the scuffle, but Trevor apologized and left without further altercation. Colin said that he ended up going to bed at about 1.10 in the morning, and at that time, Leslie was kind of passed out. She had drank all night, and she was on the couch. She really had become accustomed to falling asleep out there, and it was just whatever. Colin was going to bed. When he woke up the next morning, though, he said that he found a suicide note that was written by Leslie, but she was nowhere to be found. And it was at this time that Colin raised the alarm. The story that Colin described was accepted by the police as being the truth, and there was no investigation into any part of his story. But they did submit the suicide note that was written by Leslie for examination, just with the purpose of proving that it was written by her and not by Colin. The scientist who looked at it was able to rule Colin out as being the one who wrote it, so it was assumed that Leslie did in fact write the note, and they kind of just let it go from there. Mm. But as the situation began to unfold, Colin started to seem kind of suspicious. How was it that he knew that Leslie and Trevor would be at Harry's house? He told Elder Steve twice that Leslie and Trevor were probably there. And Steve really didn't think much of it at the time. He just knew that Colin was home with four young kids and couldn't find his wife. So Steve was really just trying to do whatever he could to help out. But it seems like Colin made sure to tell a few people that Leslie and Trevor may have gone to Harry's house. He also said this to his neighbor, Danny. According to multiple sources that knew Leslie and Colin, Leslie had been acting very strangely leading up to her death. But everyone assumed, really kind of knew, that she was abusing alcohol and drugs in the wake of her father Harry's passing, and they really just attributed this odd behavior to that. In the days immediately before her death, Leslie was described as looking disheveled and just generally not doing so well. One witness told officers about how Leslie was just out of it. She was very forgetful and walking around in a daze most of the time. And at this time, Colin was in charge of doling out Leslie's medications, and he was the one overseeing the schedule that she was taking them on. He was giving her tablets to help her sleep after Harry died. Apparently, this began right away because at Harry's funeral, Leslie drank three glasses of wine and became completely incapacitated, which was unusual for her. So when her brother confronted Colin about it, he admitted to giving Leslie a pill to help her sleep. 
Investigators really didn't think this was a big deal or really noteworthy, so they didn't question Colin about it. Hazel and Colin were both interviewed again in the days after the deaths of their spouses, and they told the same story as the one they gave on May 19th. By May 28th, just over a week had passed since Leslie and Trevor were found dead, and authorities were pretty sure they died by suicide together because they were both brokenhearted and grief-stricken over this affair between Hazel and Colin. But one investigator, Officer Jimmy, had some concerns about the case, and he even went so far as to say he didn't believe it was a suicide at all. Hmm. And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. The holidays are fast approaching. I know, I know, we don't want to think about it, but it's always good to plan ahead. And as small business owners, we both know how busy the end of the year can be within your business. So it's important to be able to save time and money. And we're able to do both of those thanks to Stamps.com. Stamps.com truly has everything you need to be able to make life a whole lot easier. It's like having a 24-7 post office right at your fingertips that you can access anywhere, anytime with zero hassle. All you need is your computer and printer, no fancy equipment, and you can be up and running right away. We've used Stamps.com for a few years now, and it's really a lifesaver. I can do all of our Patreon mailings right from home, right when I finish them. We have so many talented listeners that are out there running their own businesses, and for those of you running an online store, Stamps.com works absolutely seamlessly with all major shopping carts and marketplaces. Get ahead of the holiday chaos this year. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code MOMSANDMURDER for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MOMSANDMURDER. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Want to get away? Yeah, I do too. But since that's not really on the agenda anytime soon, I'll have to settle for a different kind of journey. And you can too, all with a fun mobile game. June's Journey allows you to enter the realm of June Parker, where an extraordinary adventure awaits. Best of all, no plane tickets needed. Say goodbye to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a world where intrigue meets elegance, courtesy of the drama-filled exploits of June Parker. Whether you're in need of a riveting mystery or simply yearning to escape the monotony of everyday life, June's Journey is your gateway to excitement. Follow June as she unravels hidden family secrets and navigates the intricate web surrounding her sister's demise. It's sort of like an upscale soiree minus the dull weather discussions, although we secretly enjoy those too. But hold on to your pearls as June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm deep in the fifth chapter with each section proving more enjoyable than the last. From the awe-inspiring scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect of June's Journey exudes sophistication and refinement. Don't hesitate any longer. Step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure commence. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about this investigation into these deaths of Leslie uh, Howell and Trevor Buchanan. And it had been ruled originally that they died by suicide, but there was one officer in particular, Officer Jimmy, who had some questions about 
kind of the whole thing. He didn't think any of it really added up. And he had multiple reasons to be suspicious. He said, first of all, that Colin was known to be a liar, and he was having all these financial issues at the time, and Officer Jimmy also thought it was strange that Leslie died so close to her father. Leslie's brother later told BBS that he believed there was a real possibility that Colin actually murdered Harry. Apparently, Harry wasn't in poor health at all when he suddenly died. He was a very healthy man in late middle age with no major red flags for serious health problems. Of course, Colin denied having any part in Harry's death, too, but isn't that what you would expect? Right. Officer Jimmy was also taken aback by the way that Trevor and Leslie's bodies were positioned in the car in Harry's garage, and he felt like all of it really just wasn't adding up to a suicide. Some of the specific things that stood out to him were that the rear light was on in the car, and one of the side mirrors had been pushed forward towards the garage door. Unfortunately, though, none of the photographs from the scene, there were only eight of them, uh, none of them showcased these details because by the time the photographer showed up, the light had been turned off and the mirrors were pushed into the position they were supposed to be in. And in another oopsie, the photos that show the trunk of the car were showing that it was open, but when the officers actually found the bodies, the trunk was closed. So basically, all around, it was just unreliable evidence, unreliable photographs, either way you look at it. And it wasn't just the crime scene details that were giving Officer Jimmy bad vibes. He was also curious about an injury on Colin's forehead and how it got there. There were drugs in Trevor's system, and Officer Jimmy wanted to know why. It was also suspicious that Colin directed numerous people to go to Harry's house looking for Trevor and Leslie. And, you know, why exactly was he so adamant that they would have been there of all places? Then there was also the question about why was Colin overseeing Leslie's sleeping medication dosing? When Leslie would pass out cold for the night, it was obvious that Colin was using that as an opportunity to go spend time with Hazel, and he had, after all, lied to the police about that affair as well, claiming that it was over in the fall of 1990, but it wasn't. It was still going on. Officer Jimmy wanted to dig deeper into all these things and find the answers to these questions. So he suggested that they interview Leslie's close friend, Susan. When Susan was interviewed, officers took notes but didn't record a statement. She said that her friend Leslie had confided in her before she died, telling her about Colin's affair with Hazel and that Colin had been given her sedatives. But Leslie said she was okay with this because Colin was taking care of her. Leslie also told Susan that Colin's business was struggling and that she hadn't been able to get money from the ATM, but that her father had left her a chunk of change in his will that would be great for her and the children. Something else Susan said stood out, though. She said that Leslie told her about this incident where Colin accidentally dropped an electric cable into the tub while Leslie was taking a bath, which caused her a small shock. Susan said that when Leslie told her the story, she dismissed it and didn't think it was anything more than an accident, but now that Leslie was dead, she thought the police should know about it. It was learned that Leslie actually mentioned this bathroom incident to several other friends of hers as well. One friend said that in the spring of 91, Leslie phoned her and told her what happened. But in this conversation, she said, quote, I'm telling you this in case something happens to me, end quote. Leslie told this particular friend that Colin said she shouldn't tell anyone about this bathroom incident. The friend tried to get Leslie to go to the police about it, but Leslie was content that she and Susan knew about the incident and didn't feel it warranted going to the police. I don't know how you accidentally drop a cord into someone's bathtub. So I would definitely suggest going to the police. Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, I don't, 
what are you doing in the bathroom where that can happen? Right. I mean, it would be it would be difficult. It can happen. But right. It sounds like it would be pretty tricky for that to happen. Further interviews with family revealed that Leslie's sister-in-law had gotten a call from Leslie after her father died, and Leslie told her about the bathtub incident as well. She actually said, quote, Colin has tried to kill me, end quote. She told her sister-in-law not to tell anyone else about it, and she didn't, not until Leslie's death. The police never asked Colin about this incident, but Colin later admitted that when he shocked Leslie in the tub by accident, it did give him the idea that he could kill Leslie if he wanted to. Okay. What? Right. So on May 29th, officers found out something that I think is really interesting and he has a lot of nerve. Um, Colin put the car up for sale, the one that his wife Leslie and Trevor were found in literally 10 days earlier. He put this car up for sale. Investigators went to look at the car and they noticed that there was damage to the rear offside light cluster. So they also went back to Harry's house and looked around there in the garage for signs of broken glass that matched the car, but they didn't find any. They never even questioned Colin about the damage to the car, which at this point I'm kind of like, okay, they really didn't do a lot of questions about a lot of things that could have led to answers in this case. They kind of just were like, huh, weird. You that's know, weird. That's, uh, that. Yeah, that can't be related to anything. Like, you know, like they, did, they didn't look into very much in this case, in my opinion. Right. And I just I don't really understand why. Although the investigators were conducting many, many interviews, it seemed as though even with those, they weren't taking them that seriously because they never recorded any of them. Only notes were taken when witnesses were, were spoken to, which I get it. Notes are fine. You have notes to look back on. But you should be recording some of these interviews, I would think, or some of these like statements that people are making. What's the point of doing some and not others? You don't right. get to really decide what's going to be important. Right, exactly. So colleagues and confidants of Trevor's told officers that Trevor had been, quote, in very bad form in the week leading up to his death, so much so that some people even did worry that he was going to take his own life. According to Trevor's boss, he had requested time off to kind of sort out family problems on two different occasions in 1991. He said that he was just working too hard and not spending enough time with his family, and he seemed really down in the dumps about it. But after his time off, he did appear to be in better spirits. Once all the interviews were completed, officers put together a coroner's inquest report, which included statements from Colin and Hazel regarding their affair the marriage counseling, and their accounts of what happened on May 18th and 19th. It also included some information from church elders regarding their knowledge of the affair and the counseling that the couples received, as well as statements regarding the incident at the gas station where Leslie was using the wrong gas and more. The full report also included copies of the post-mortem reports and a copy of the suicide note left by Leslie. The full report also included copies of the post-mortem reports and copy of the suicide note left by Leslie and the photos taken of the inside of the garage, but not the photos of the bodies. In the conclusion of the report, it was determined that the deaths were self-inflicted and that they were the result of the infidelity they had suffered through. The fact that Leslie made a previous attempt on her life was also a factor in them coming to this conclusion. The final ruling in the deaths of Trevor and Leslie was that they died from carbon monoxide poisoning after becoming emotionally upset by the affair their spouses were having. Open and shut, right? Well, not exactly. In the years following the deaths, Colin and Hazel continued to have their relationship. Colin was awarded Leslie's estate 
and her father's estate, and he got insurance payouts to the tune of more than 414,000 pounds, which is around 486,000 US dollars, which he was able to use to pay off his debts, including that $10,000 he borrowed from a friend, his mortgage, and he even was able to bring his dental practice into good standing and develop it further. So the couple continued their affair until the summer of 1996, when Hazel met someone new that she liked better than Colin. She ended up staying with this guy for seven years, and then she meets another man named David Stewart, who she married back in 2005. But now, back to 1996. After this relationship with Hazel fizzled out, Colin meets this new woman named Kyle that he ends up marrying. Kyle was divorced with two children when she met Colin, and they went on to have five children of their own together. So what does that bring the total up to? Five together, he had four, so that's nine. She had two, 11 kids. That's a lot. That's a lot of kids. That is. That's almost a dozen. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The family became members of Barn Christian Fellowship. Well, one evening, Kyle's feeding one of their children in the lounge of their home when Colin comes in and says he has something to get off his chest. Colin tells his wife, Kyle, that he was having an affair with another woman, but then he tells her an even bigger secret. Colin says that back in 1991, he killed his wife, Leslie, and Trevor Buchanan and staged it to look like a suicide. Okay, here's my question. So he's telling his wife, like, hey, my first wife, so the person that would be you in the story, I was having an affair and I ended up killing her. And I'm just letting you know that I'm also having an affair on you right now, so... Like, what is happening right now? So here's the playbook of what happens next. (laughs) Exactly. Like, this is crazy to me. I feel like you don't drop those two things. Are you trying to make one look better than the other? Because it's not working for me here, buddy. So anyway, he confesses to Kyle that he thought Leslie was a bad mother because she was always drunk. He described this one time when he found her unconscious, lying in her own vomit, when she was supposed to be looking after the kids. He said their house was always messy, and he felt like he was alone when it came to parenting. It sounds like a pretty grim family portrait, but Colin actually did later admit that he exaggerated the severity of the problems he and Leslie had. Colin said that things were just incredibly tense between himself and Leslie after she learned about the affair with Hazel. I mean, duh. I mean, what do you want her to do? Give you a hug? So Leslie, he said, was distraught over the infidelity on top of losing her father recently. And it was on May 13th, about a week before her death, that Colin first got the idea to kill her and Trevor. In his mind, he was going to do it to end their pain. In his eyes, it would be an act of euthanasia. Oh, a hero. Oh my gosh. Yay. Guys, we have a lot more to get into. This was initially going to be a one-part episode. Actually, (laughs) our researcher Haley sent it to us. Hi, Haley. And she said this could be two parts. And Mandy was like, I'll make it one. And... (laughs) At some point yesterday, Mandy and I were talking and she was like, I'm on this number of pages and I still have this much more. And we were like, okay, well, it's a, it's a two-parter. So, you know, we hate yes. breaking these up, but this is very necessary. This is yes. a huge story. And I was so thankful for Melissa give, like reminding me that I still had the option to make it two parts because <laughs> I was committed. I was like, nope, we're doing this as one. I'm going to do one part. And Melissa was like, hey, I know it's late for this, but we still can do it in two parts. So. <laughs> Don't you love whenever ideas just like aren't very clear to you in the moment and you're like, oh, yeah, like that. Right. I can do that. Right. I know. Yeah. I have those moments where I'm like, wow, I'm way too close to this right now. That was so. a life-saving idea. So, yes, we have <sighs> – Yes, we have a lot to get into. Um, As you can see, this story is 
just full of twists and turns. And uh, there's plenty more to get into. So we are going to do it all in part two next week. And yeah, I can't wait to get into it. It'll be it'll be fun and exciting. I promise. <laughs> it will be. Okay. So before we go, Mandy, we posted on social media um, asking for some new last thing, we go, last thing before we go ideas. Um, this time we only had one person asking where we were going. So that, that felt good. Only one person wanted to know if we were leaving <laughs> this show. Yeah. Sometimes people do, they're like, wait, wait, where are you guys going? I'm like, oh, it's and then I realized like, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I get it. Um, okay. So we're just going to do a few of the questions I think that we yeah. found from this week. We did this early on all the time and then we just ended up getting the same questions. So thought we might grab some new ones. There's a bunch of them. So we'll be coming back to this. So if we don't choose yours, either it was probably very similar to someone else's or uh, we just haven't gotten to it yet. Right. Or it wasn't good. I'm just kidding. It, it was good. They were all good. <laughs> Mandy, do you want to start off? Or do you want me to start off? Uh, you can start off. Okay, Mandy, this is from our friend, other Mandy, Mandy number two, Mandy Delp. She asked, what foods did you crave or detest when you were pregnant? Oh my gosh. So the first time when I was pregnant, I just wanted to eat Chipotle burritos. And I did. I gained like <laughs> 30 pounds and it was awful. Literally every day I worked at a restaurant, uh, Longhorn Steakhouse. It was right oh, next yeah. door to a Chipotle. And uh, I would just go there on my lunch break every single day without fail and eat a f- massive burrito. And it was great. That was my life. That was my whole pregnancy. And it was amazing. That's all I wanted. That's like I never got tired of Isn't eating that, that. And looking back on it now, I'm like, that's crazy. I haven't even eaten a burrito in years. So to even think that I would just go in and do that every day is like so right? wild to me now. Yeah. my um, So with my daughter, I remember I was sick for quite a bit of it. But once I got over that, I always wanted TCBY, strawberry yogurt. And there's like one in winter, spring. So it was not close for me to get to. So every Friday I would like, that would be my treat. I would go and I would get it with gummy bears, Reese's Pieces, and um, like Reese's Peter Butter Cups. Like mm. it doesn't make any sense together, <laughs> but I got it every Friday as like a little parfait and I loved it so much. And with my son, I remember I did Donato's Pizza, which isn't here anymore, but I loved it. And I would get pepperoni and pineapple. It was like the only thing that I really liked. And then I would eat apples because I decided I was sick with him my entire pregnancy. I would only eat stuff that wasn't terrible coming up and apples were fine. So I'd just be like, all right, I'm going to eat this apple. I know what's going to happen later. But I wasn't like some things when you puke are just horrific and oh, they ruin yeah. it for you. Yeah. So I was like, mm, apples aren't too bad coming up. And that was literally how I planned, <laughs> planned eating. <laughs> Those are fun memories, Mandy number two. Thanks for that. That was cool. I, I enjoyed baby ones. What do you got? So I actually have a question that I took from Mandy's list as well. Thank you, Mandy, for all these wonderful ideas. Uh, So she asked, what's your favorite time of day? Mm, And I took a different one from her. So wow, this is great. Great job, Mandy. (laughs) This is how about we just do Mandy questions today? Um, Let's see. My favorite time of day. Hmm. Okay. I would say before I go to bed and like it's quiet in the house. Well, you know, it just depends. I also like waking up before everybody and just having a few minutes to like read, not like by read, I mean, be on TikTok and read the things on TikTok. <laughs> read comments. Yeah. Read comments online. <laughs> read comments. Um, but I also like going on walks, like just me with the dog like that. I enjoy It's so hot, but like, I feel so good after doing it. I mean, after I take a shower after doing it, but 
like listening to a podcast. That's some of my favorite. Of course, hanging out with our family. Everybody knows we like hanging out with our family. Right. But those are my like alone time things I like. What about you? Uh, I am a complete morning person. And this is kind of something that's developed in me within the last maybe like three or four years. But mm-hmm. I love waking up early. I feel so productive and energized first thing in the morning. I've been getting up even earlier lately, not even on purpose. I've been getting up at like 5.30 and just happy as can be to just get up. And like you said, I love coming out before everybody else is awake and having my cup of coffee and scrolling on my phone and just enjoying the quiet of the morning. The dog sits on the couch with me and we just kind of hang out. And then I get to go about my morning. And so I'm, by the time the kids get up and, you know, get ready for school, I've already been awake. I've already had a chance to kind of start breakfast things going and everybody just gets to have a better morning because I've already been awake and because I've already done things. (laughs) Totally. Totally. The other thing I finally have committed myself to doing, and it's working so much better. This isn't like a time thing, but I'm like committed to making sure everyone's stuff is ready the night before. Like your clothes are ready, your lunches are packed, and it does make the morning so much easier. It does. And, and like Melissa at nighttime doesn't want to do this at all, but Melissa in the morning loves, loves Melissa nighttime, nighttime Melissa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa AM is in love with Melissa PM. Um, but that's like one of the best things I've like. I mean, we're only like three weeks into this, so it could change, but I don't think it will because it's just too chaotic in the morning and you never know who's going to be grumpy and, you know, so if I don't have to like also make a lunch, you know, on top of everything else, then I'm, I'm feeling good. Okay, Mandy, Mandy, number two, today's your lucky day. Got another question from you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Is there a chronological age you wish you could freeze yourself or your kids? Um... My kids, no, I haven't reached an age yet where I'd want to freeze them in time. Um, No, um, I personally like all the stages I've had with my kids so far. Like I like the toddler stage, but I don't want to freeze the toddler stage. Um, True. You know, and like I like my, you know, I love that my older son's coming into being a teenager and he's at kind of a really fun age now, but I also don't want to freeze him and keep him (laughs) at this age forever either. Oh, gosh. So, you know, I I would have a hard time picking an age that I would want to freeze my kids at. Of course, I think – a lot of the fun of parenting is watching them grow up. So I wouldn't want to freeze their lives. Um, As for myself, I feel like right now would be a great time to go ahead and just freeze frame because I am loving my mid-30s at this point and thinking that this is probably the best stage of my life. I can't imagine it getting any better. I hope that it does. But um, I feel like right now things are really great and I'm really enjoying my life and all the wonderful things in it. So yeah, if I had to pick a chronological place to kind of stop aging, I feel like right now would be a great time. I absolutely agree with you on both of those, my kids. But there is like something about like, okay, because I have a daughter, like six or seven, she still really liked me. And now we're like a little too similar. And so it's a struggle with like hormones and, you know, attitudes and stuff. But it's not because she's also like this great little person that's coming into her own and like, figuring life out. And I'm proud of her. She's making amazing decisions. And like, I don't know, like she is like getting out of the habit of saying, I'm sorry for everything, which I'm so happy for her. I'm, I like even correct her. I'm like, don't do this. (laughs) You don't want your life to always start with, I'm sorry. Cause it's a habit you have to break. And even like taking compliments, I'm like, learn to take compliments. People are giving them to you. It's kind of I mean, I know it's not rude to not take compliments from people, but like if somebody wants to give it to you, it's because they want to give you a compliment. Just take it. I struggle with yeah, that. But I do too. I do too. It's an important thing. Like it, it's it's just as nice for them to be able to say it to you. Like there's a reason they're saying it. 
And so um, anyway, so that's something like with sports and stuff that I've noticed with her. I'm like, if somebody tells you you're doing a good job, they're not just saying it to you for the heck of it. I think you're doing a good job. Just say thank you. Um, So I don't know about the ages. My son has always been really fun, though. He's he's at a tough age just because he like (laughs) he sent me a text last night when I was at the game. And, you know, we have to like check his food because it's food allergies and stuff. But he wants to check his own, which is great. But he sent me a message last night that was like, hey, dad, check my food. And I wrote him back and was like, he's like, I already said I checked it. And I said, well, bud, it's because he loves you and wants you to be safe. And he writes me back and he's like, tell him I'm too old for this. And I was like, dang, boy, like, wow, we're trying to keep you alive. (laughs) So anyway, so I'd like to fast forward this stage maybe a little bit. Um, And for me, I think definitely 35, I'm almost 39 um, so I don't know how my forties will be, but my mid late thirties have been the best for sure. I feel like, you know, Just yourself stick with better. me and you'll be okay for a few more years. <laughs> yeah. I've got two years. Um, but yeah, it could, it could all fall down really fast, but I'm enjoying it. So that concludes our Mandy Delp last thing before you go, <laughs> uh, like memorial, no, not memorial, whatever it is inspired by. So good job, Mandy Delp. We have plenty of others we will pull in the weeks to come. Uh, that was fun though. Yeah. All right. And thank you guys for sending in some suggestions for us. We did get a lot of good ones that, um, to kind of refresh the pot. We were talking, we love doing last thing before we go, but I feel like we, we don't want to make it boring. You know, we don't want to right. take it stale. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that people send in stuff that they want to hear us talk about. So that's yeah, really helpful. There are still – feel free to add more when you're listening to this or on social media, Instagram and Facebook. You can find it there. Just add a comment there. Maybe you'll be next week's Mandy number two. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and before we go, we're going to be playing the uh, promo for Criminology. Our friends over there, make sure you check that out. And also uh, Criminality – reminded me, I always forget to plug the other show I'm on, um, has new episodes every other Friday. This next week, it's going to be, I'll just give it to you guys because I didn't give it to them. John and Kate plus eight and what? all the legal problems there. Yeah. I'm oh, so that's a, that is a messy story. Messy, messy. And every day it just gets a little messier. So that <laughs> should be uh, fun. Um, so make sure you check that out. All right, guys, that's it for this week. We'll see you back next week for part two of our story on Colin Howell. And we'll be here same time, same place with the same story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Have a great week. Bye. Hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morph. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. We dive into a variety of cases in both the U.S. and abroad. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of, like the Pocatello babysitter murders or the canal murders. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime, like the Tylenol murders and the Lindbergh kidnapping. We also dive into cases that are currently breaking thanks to DNA and forensic genealogy. Sometimes you'll hear from people connected to the cases, like the interview we did with the brother-in-law of the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now, including full seasons covering the Zodiac Killer, the Golden State Killer, and Ted Bundy. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.